Hey guys, welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today you're listening to episode 67, and I'm talking with Alicia DeFabio. Alicia is the mother of four girls. She's an author, she's a triathlete, she's a runner, she's a clinical psychologist, and she's a breast cancer survivor. This woman is very inspiring. She's an encourager. I felt like I was talking to some sort of mentor when I did this interview. So, you know, I have to say one of my favorite things about hosting this podcast is people I get to talk to and the experiences, the conversations I get to experience. I'm telling you guys, I walk away from these conversations and though I know I'm recording it for a bunch of people who are listening, I walk away filled up and inspired and encouraged and and I felt all those things when I finished talking to Alicia. So this is one of those conversations that I'm just really thankful that I had the opportunity to have because of this podcast. You guys are going to love her. You're going to love this conversation. I know it. I know it. Before we get started talking with Alicia, I want to thank Now Foods for sponsoring the podcast. You guys, I've been talking about Now Foods since January. They've been a partner of the show since January, and I'm so thankful for that. I actually recently walked into our local grocery store here in Indianapolis, Good Earth. It's like the most organic, hippie grocery store you could ever imagine. They have a sign in the front that says, organic since 1971. So they've been super hippy-dippy organic since before any of us knew what organic was or maybe some of us were even born. And they had Now Foods all over their store, which tells me if Good Earth is willing to carry Now Foods, Now Foods is legit, legit good quality stuff. And I've mentioned this podcast a million times. I've been to their facility and it really, really is great. And it's a family-owned business. You guys can get supplements, sports nutrition, protein powder, essential oils, and since you're a listener of this podcast, you can get 25% off your next order. If you go to now-2-u.com, use the promo code another all caps to save 25% off your order. That's a big chunk. Thank you, Now Foods, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast, I have a new partner on board that I'm super excited about. This episode is also sponsored by Casper Mattress. You guys, I have been eyeing Casper Mattresses for a long time now. Casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. So you know what happens? You don't have to spend hours in a store trying out beds because who has time for that? So Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. I've looked at their prices. They are so good. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. This is based on Casper, Amazon, and Google reviews. Free shipping and returns to US and Canada. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. So if you're in the market for a new mattress, check out Casper. Just head over to casper.com slash have another and use the code have another to get $50 toward any mattress purchase. Check it out, you guys. And you know, as I always say, when you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are directly supporting the show. So I thank you for that. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started with my conversation with Alicia. Enjoy. Okay, well, let's get to it since your kids are coming home soon, and um, we'll just record from the start, and you've listened to the show, so you kind of know how it flows a little bit. Yeah. Gosh, when you emailed me 
there's some, I mean, it's funny because people reach out to me a decent amount, you know, and to come on the show and I, you know, have to be a little bit picky sometimes, but when I read your email, I was like, done, don't need to read anything else. That's so sweet. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of people will reach out and they'll say, this is what I do. And they give me like bullet points of like the things they can talk about to my listeners. And I get the feel that they haven't even ever listened to my show. And Mm -hmm. I could tell for sure that you had. And what I look for in an interview is someone with a good story. Um, Then I went to your blog and I read your blog a little bit and I was like, well, I wish I would have found her first. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my blog's a little all over the place. There's always a ton of, ton of stuff going on, but uh, yeah, thank you very much. I, I take that as a compliment. So where did you grow up? So I, I kind of, I was born in Chicago, but I don't remember that because we moved when I was a year old and we moved around a lot. My father was uh, a surgeon. And so at the beginning of his career, he was moving around for different residencies. So uh, I kind of grew up, I guess, from third grade on in Pennsylvania, um, west of Philadelphia. And then I'm went to school in Maryland. So I spent a good 10 years in Maryland. And that really felt like home because that was like when I was really coming into my own, I, you know, finished college, I got my first job, Uh, I had my first baby there. Uh, And then somehow I ended up in New Jersey. And so (laughs) here I am uh, in Jersey. And now I feel like a true Jersey girl. And you have four daughters. I do. I have four daughters. They range in age from nine to 22. I had a little hiatus. I had my first daughter was very unexpected. Uh, I was dating somebody and we had just broken up and we we're kind of in that. Should we get back together? Should we not get back together phase? And then we became pregnant. <laughs> and so <laughs> it really wasn't the way I planned things. Um, nor probably him, and uh, but we had my first daughter, and unfortunately the the marriage didn't work out, and so I uh, divorced, and so I have ten years between my first child and my second child. So the the last three are with my current and hopefully last husband. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is my my last husband. We are true soulmates and best friends, and uh, I was so grateful that I found him. So how old were you when you had your first daughter? I was 25, uh, so, you know, not super young, but definitely not really thinking about motherhood, prepared for motherhood. Um, You know, I just was doing my thing. I was a recent college graduate and starting my career, and I really wanted to go to grad school, and I had all these plans. And and then my daughter Carly uh, surprised me. And to add to the surprise, when I found out I was pregnant, I was five and a half months pregnant. So I was really... Yeah, I was really far along. So it's a huge adjustment when you're not expecting to be pregnant. But when you have, you know, seven, eight, nine months to mentally prepare for that, you know, you kind of get into the groove. So I had like three and a half months to prepare for for being a, a mommy. And uh, that was a whirlwind. But it was it was it was the best surprise I've ever had. It was it was really great. Uh, you know, sometimes life's biggest blessings come when you're least expecting them and, and when they're shocking like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was meant to be, it was my journey. So tell me about that though, because, you know, as someone who's had three kids, I'm always like, how can people not know they're pregnant? Are I know, they in right? denial? Like what, how did you not know? 
Yeah, I say that too. I remember like Oprah was like really, really big. I mean, Oprah's big now, but Oprah was really big. It was at the beginning when I was, uh, you know, in my young 20s. And I was like, and I think there was an episode on Oprah where like, I almost had my baby in the toilet and I didn't know I was pregnant for the full nine months. And I'd be like, what are you kidding me? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm that person. Uh, I, looking back on it, I'm sure there was a, some decent amount of denial, maybe. Uh, I also didn't have any morning sickness. I was, uh, really didn't have any changes in my body until I was about five months along. I you just, I had like weird things. Like I would gag when I brushed my teeth and I'd feel really tired, but it, it wasn't anything that jumped out as a, as a pregnancy. And I was also taking the birth control pill. So mm. I was, so I was like that really weird, like 0.05% that got pregnant while taking the birth control pill. So I really, really didn't think I had anything to worry about. Um, so you know, look, looking back, I think I was also in denial because I was with somebody. I, I things weren't really going well mm-hmm. in the relationship, so uh, it wasn't. It was a really confusing time for me. So now, one more question about that, and then I'll I'll move on from your pregnancy <laughs> to your personal questions. Were you getting your period? I was not, okay. but as uh, I, I was always a very. Um, uh, inconsistent uh, person, uh-huh, uh-huh. my cycle. And, you know, I ran cross country as a kid. I didn't get my period till I was 16. I hope my parents aren't going to be listening to this podcast. <laughs> my period. Um, you know, and I, I would skip, it was very, uh, common for me to skip two and three months and I would lose track. I'm not really an organized person. So I wasn't that person <laughs> that was always writing on my calendar and, um, and I was very light. And so that was not unusual for me to go uh, several months without seeing any, any, you know, any period. So, yeah. So what did that look like then? So is your, is your daughter's name Katie? No, it is Carly. Carly. Very close. Okay. Very close. <laughs> so tell everybody a little bit about Carly. So Carly was, uh, despite all the, the, the drama with my not knowing I was pregnant, um, she was born uh, just a typical seven pound, two ounce, very healthy baby girl with great APGAR scores and everything was wonderful. And then uh, at 16 weeks old, she had her first grandma seizure and it lasted for over an hour and she turned blue. So she, uh, I, I had to perform CPR on her um, and, you know, there was a, a lot of drama associated with that. And she recovered well. She was on the NICU for about a week. And we just, she was febrile. She had a febrile seizure. And so we thought everything was, you know, fine. And that was just kind of like a one-time thing. And then a couple months later, she had another seizure. And then a couple months after that, she had another seizure. And they were, they were very long. So we don't know for sure, but what we think was she suffered some brain damage because of these uh, prolonged, uh, very dramatic seizures. And, you know, as a result, as she got older, by the time she was two, she, it was very clear that she was falling behind. She had developmental delays. And uh, currently she is diagnosed with uh, autism and severe cognitive impairments. And she has scoliosis and she has a lot of low muscle tone and she has the seizures, unfortunately, have not been controlled. So we're dealing with that on a pretty regular basis. So she has a lot of, you know, neurological and developmental issues. She's 22 now and she is completely nonverbal. She's still in diapers. 
Um, I have to bathe her, dress her, feed her, but she is ambulatory. She walks around pretty well and, um, you know, sings a lot and makes a lot of vocalizations and gets her point across. And she's real funny and, and real full of uh, life and love. And she's super happy, which is what we all want for our kids. We all want our kids to be happy. So I feel, I feel pretty grateful that, that she's happy. And my other three daughters are very happy as well. So did you and your husband, your first husband, you, you went ahead and got married. We did. We got married at a courthouse when I was pregnant little shotgun wedding <laughs> without the shotgun. And um, yeah, we got married and we, and we did the best we could. We, we thought we were, we were doing right by the situation. And uh, we hung in there for about five years. Um, you know, I just don't think we were ever really the right people for each other. We didn't bring out the best in each other, but, you know, we both love her and are very um, involved in her life. He still lives in Maryland, so he doesn't get to see her as regularly, but um but we still have a good relationship and, you know, parent her together as best we can. Now, how old was Carly when you guys separated? We, I think she was five. So what did that look like then, you know, entering kind of single parenthood? Yeah, that kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie. Single single parenthood is tough. I really, really uh, feel... I really feel for people when they when they're doing it on their own, especially if it's following a divorce. I felt like it was right in the pit of my soul. I felt like it was, you know, we had made a mistake doing what we thought was right. And now we were like ripping all everyone's life apart in what seemed to be wrong, but it ended up being right. And, you know, the blessing with Carly is that she was completely, you know, as far as we know, unaware. Like, mm-hmm. I think of like my other kids who are neurotypical would have been, you know, very emotionally affected by, you know, a divorce, but Carly was very protected from that. Mm. And so, uh, really, so we really, you know, she was very sheltered from all of the emotional sort of stuff. She just really didn't know what was going on. So you also have your doctorate in clinical psychology. So when, when you said, um, neurotypical, I immediately was like, Ooh, that's a super scientific, scientific term. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I have all the big GRE words. <laughs> tell me, talk to me and talk to the listeners a little bit about as a parent with a child with special needs, what are, gosh, I'm just thinking from the outside looking in, like, what are ways that we, we, uh, parents of children who don't have those disabilities, what are ways we can support someone who does have a child um, what would you even say on, on the spectrum? Like, I feel like yeah. my, I'm totally, uh, politically incorrect here. Yeah, no, I don't. And you know what it said, you know, the, the, the topography of political correctness is constantly changing. Right. So I feel like you, know, it is. you can't keep up. You can't keep up at all. Now I have a free pass cause I, I'm a parent. So I right. can like say, and then you feel like when you're not in that world, you're like, oh my gosh, did I say it right? Did I say it wrong? Totally. You know? <laughs> but I, I'm someone who it, for me personally, I, it doesn't matter to me so much about what people are saying to me and how they're saying it, or are they choosing their, this word versus that word? It's just that they are talking with me. Mm. So I think the most important thing to me is, you know, when you're a parent of a child who's developmentally different and they have special needs, um, you feel a little bit like you're living in a fishbowl. Like everyone's 
trying not to look at you, but you know, they're looking at you Mm -hmm. or you kind of, you know, everywhere we go, we we cause a little bit of a spectacle. Um, So, you know, I I just appreciate dialogue. So even if someone comes up to me and is using the non-politically correct terms or asking a question that maybe should not be asked, I'm just grateful that they're asking. I'm just grateful that they're talking to me and they're listening to what I have to say and they're asking about my daughter and they're asking questions because they legitimately are curious and I think that's I think that's the best. So my hope for people if they you know if they want to support um, a family member or a friend or someone in their community who is parenting a, a different child, a special child, it's just talk to them, you know, just mm-hmm. ask them questions. Don't be afraid to ask people questions. And, um, and I think if you're asking them with compassion and genuine curiosity and a willingness to learn, for the most part, people truly appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, I just, and I just read this article on Facebook, somebody, my friend Erica posted it about, um, and this is not about a family with a child with special needs, but um, it was just like the article was something along the lines of, this is what you should do to help a mom whose toddler is having a meltdown in a grocery store. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I was thinking about that. And I've thought about that oftentimes when my child has melted down in the grocery store. And I'm like, but what if that child does have special needs and you don't even realize it? And, you know, then you're complicating things even more because the parents like, no, no, what you don't understand is what this little kid needs is for a stranger not to insert themselves in the situation, you know? Yeah, it's so true. There's so much that we don't know. I think there's sometimes just letting the person know, like, you're available, like, hey, I'm here, whatever you need me to do, you know, go ahead and do. I remember I was at a soccer field recently. Um, So my daughter's like really big now. She's a full grown adult. She's 22 Mm -hmm. years old. She looks like a woman. Um, She's strong, you know, and she has behavioral issues. And, um, you know, it, 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 sometimes she has a really hard time in public settings. So I was at the soccer field and she was like going ballistic and, um, no one was looking at us or talking to us or pretending they even noticed us. And she was hitting me. I was crying. You know, she was just having a, a moment. And, um, I remember one friend came running across the soccer field to me. She goes, what do you need me to do? And I'll do it. Now at that point I had the option to say, you know what, just steer clear, you know, because of this, you know, she might not want to be, um, you know, she might not want the extra input or I, I could, whatever, I, whatever I could have responded, I could have responded. But I just remember bursting in tears, just being so grateful that someone was offering to help me. Mm. And I and I did need her help because mm. <laughs> it was getting a little out of control. So I just liked I liked that she just she didn't know what to say or do, but she just asked me, what do you need me to do? I'm here to do it. Um, so, you know, I guess that's a that's a good way to approach people, no matter what the situation is. Mm-hmm. So now what does that look like? Is Carly with you? I mean, forever? And does she, will she yeah. ever be? Yeah. No, she'll never be independent. So she, in New Jersey, every state is different, but in New Jersey, uh, children go to school until they're 21 and then they graduate. So she turned 21 last May and graduated and kind you kind of just go into this whole new world. Every state again is different, but you, you sort of get into the Medicaid world and the uh, the, the day program world and kids with higher skills can do little jobs and go into the workforce. She's more in a, um, 
almost like a daycare kind of setting where they do crafts and they go on community outings and, you know, they have some semi-structured time and, and some hangout time. And so she's, she's doing that. That took a long time to, to set up. And, and our plan is to keep her at home with us for as long as we are physically able to do that. So hopefully if I continue to take care of myself and my husband takes care of himself and her biological dad can say, well, we'll, we'll be covered. The great thing is she has like, you know, three parents right now, her, her stepdad, her biological dad and me. So between the three of us, we're, we're going to, we're going to be in good shape. And I want to talk about when you met your husband now. Yeah. Now he didn't have any children. Oh, he had never been married, never have ki- have had kids. We met in graduate school. So I was crazy enough to, <laughs> to uh, after I, Carly was, actually, I had Carly. Carly, was, I went into a doctoral program. It was one year master's and four years doctorate work. And I went into that program when Carly was one and a half or so. And she got diagnosed at the age of two in my second year of the program. So when I started the program, I didn't know my life was going to get even more complicated. So that was very tough. And a sane person would have like taken a hiatus, but I just felt like I could do it all. I could do this rigorous full-time program with all these externships on top of it. And also, you know, take her to all these different therapies and all the early intervention and all the medical appointments and go in and out of the hospital. She was hospitalized often for seizure related complications. And, uh, I, I just made myself, you know, totally crazy. So, um, but but I did it. So in the second year of the program, I met who, the person who is now my husband. At the time, he was my best friend. We clicked immediately. We, you know, just hit it off. And uh, he he really was my best friend for five years until I started dating him. I was officially uh, separated and, you know, mm-hmm. all of that before any anything even remotely happened. I mean, in good almost two years went by. I believe before, you know, I left my husband, my first husband, Carly's dad, and and then started dating my current husband. So, um, yeah, so it was it was great. By that point, we knew everything about each other. He's like, "Do you want to go on a date and get married?" So it, was, <laughs> it kind of moved quickly. But you know, one of the things that um, was uh, something he really had to think about a lot was in taking that next step with me from friendship into dating meant me and my daughter, Carly, as a, as a package, like that, that's a big deal. And you don't, you know, he's a very stand up responsible guy and he was not going to just like, Oh, let me goof around and see if Mm -hmm. we'll work out. Like he really had to know if, if I move forward with this woman, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's marriage and it's instant fatherhood. So when we got married, we, we already had a child and, and a, and a child that he knew at that point, you know, it was very clear she would need lifelong care and this would be, she wasn't going to grow up and move out of the house and get married and hold down a job. And, you know, we, we kind of knew what we were working with at that point. She was eight when we got married. Yeah. I was just thinking, you know, if being a single parent and entering the dating scene or whatever with a child with special needs that you're, that's going to be under your care for the rest of your life, like, did you ever think like, who's going to want to take this on all the time, all the time. I was convinced that I would be alone for the rest of my life. I, I do. I really did. I, you know, Anthony was my best friend and, um, I would just think, you know, 
I'll never get a guy like as great as him. Like he would be such a, you know, a perfect catch. You know, I never really thought of him in that way, but I just thought like this would be, this would be the guy I would hold up on the pedestal, like someone like him. It's like who in their right mind, like not even he would like be interested in me, (laughs) you know, and taking on all this extra baggage. And um, yeah, I just, I just was convinced that I would just, it would just be me and Carly forever. So um, thank goodness it, it didn't turn out that way. Not that that's a bad thing. Some people are happy being alone. Um, I know I would have been fine if I were alone, but uh, it, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, so much more fun to share my life with my, my best friend and my soulmate. So how old were you guys when you got married? Or how old were you when you got married? Well, I got married at what, to, 34. And then you went yeah, on to have to, three to, more kids. Yeah. Oh, I was shooting them out like cannons. I was like, boom, boom, boom. You know, because I wanted to have, we both wanted to have a lot of, um, we wanted to have a big family. So we both wanted four or five. I'm one of four and he is one of five. So we knew like four minimum. Um, We already had Carly and uh, it just, we didn't work out. I I couldn't, I couldn't squeeze that fifth one in there. (laughs) So um, (laughs) I was really hoping the last one would be twins. But um, (laughs) yeah, we just, we just knew we wanted to Big family. We knew I was on borrowed time and um, we were just going for it. So we had a three within a three and a half year period. <gasps> oh, my and, gosh. Um, it was, yeah, it was a little, it was like, well, you have three little ones, right? Yes, but not in that short of time. My oldest is turning five this month and my youngest is oh. seven months. So, I mean, the second two are pretty close, but not yeah. that close. <laughs> Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was crazy times. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. It was, it was really, really nutty. And then Carly, my oldest, you know, developmentally, she's under a year old, her Mm -hmm. cognitive abilities and her motor skills and her speech and language, she is assessed to be, you know, between a six month old level and an 18 month old level. So she, she, you know, I was diapering her and supervising Mm -hmm. her and, you know, doing everything, you know, she's very hands-on. She's not independent in very many ways. So it was kind of like having four under Mm -hmm. three. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, but, uh, you you know, now I look back, it was so crazy, but now I look back and I'm like, my baby's nine and, you know, and I have a seventh grader and a a fifth grader and I'm just like, wow, I miss it. (laughs) It was crazy, but I miss it. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm just like, because during all this time, did you take some time to stay home? Because I know that you went back to school. Yeah, I did. I worked with my, um, I worked with my second daughter, and then I worked through the pregnancy with my third, and then we moved to Southern New Jersey, and um, I was getting ready to have my my third daughter, and I was like, and I knew we knew we were definitely going to have a fourth, like it was no question. So I was kind of like. I think I need to stay at home. This is this is gonna be a lot of childcare to pay for. Right. I don't know if I, I don't know if I get a job that was. And plus, I was like losing my kind of losing my mind, like mm-hmm. in a good way. You know, it was just a lot to juggle. What were you doing at the time juggle. professionally? Um, I was working at, uh, in the field of psychology, and I the last job I had for the two years before I went on hiatus was a school psychologist. So I was uh, evaluating and classifying and case managing all the incoming preschoolers who needed to be tested to see if they would qualify for services. And um, then I worked in the elementary school as well, uh, you know, doing testing and case management and stuff like that. I loved it. It was, it was a great job and hopefully I can go back to it one day. But when I, I started staying home, I was a little bit, you know, bored 
my mind was bored. I mean, mm-hmm. I was bored, but so I, I, um, I just started writing cause I always loved to write. And so that's kind of how the writing thing happened, which, which ended up evolving into uh, an eventual book. But, you know, I started a blog and then I was read, writing articles and, um, you know, submitting them places and seeing what kind of feedback I would get. So just to keep my just to keep my mind a little bit engaged, I was getting a little OD'd on Teletubbies and <laughs> whatever else. I don't even remember what my kids used to watch. <laughs> now, where did when you were working when you had your second daughter? Now, where would Carly go during the day? Well, she was at school, and because I was in a school-based job, my boss was great because she let me, if I didn't take a lunch and I just worked straight through, she let me go home like 20 minutes early, and so I would like literally pull in the driveway, and five minutes later, Carly would be home. Mm-hmm. And then my 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 next oldest, Sophia, was in a little wonderful childcare uh, uh, down the street, so I would just grab her on the way home, and then... And then get Carly off the bus. So it worked out really well. The school hours were really great for me. And I had the summers off. It was nice. So let's, well, I want to dive into your book. But before I dive into that, um, I want to get into the fact that, so how old are you now? So I am 48 now. So I, I can't even believe I am 48. I don't crazy? feel 48. You know, I, I don't feel like I'm 20. I don't feel <laughs> like you are either. Um, yeah, it's weird. And then I hang out with all people that are younger than me because my kids' uh-huh. ages are so young. So I'm kind of hanging out with people who are like just turning 40 this year. Totally. I still have friends that are like 32. Mm-hmm. So I feel like an old fart. But they do keep me young. Well, I, I it's funny. I always think about that at, at, the, at school because – I'm reading the book, uh, what's it called? Big Little Lies. Have you read that book? No, but I want to. Okay, so you know what it is. And you know, yeah. It's like all these school moms and, you know, their drama. It's just like a light-hearted, whatever, yeah. read, beach read kind of thing. And um, I'm always like, I I think I'm probably like the median age for the moms of kids at my oldest son's school because I, I had my first when I was 29, and I feel like that's pretty normal uh, right now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're probably like – like I might be the older mom, but I'm the cool older mom. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. It's like if Dorky is cool, yes. If no. Dorky has made a comeback, then I'm definitely. You're cool. probably viewed as the like athlete triathlon mom. <laughs> oh, definitely not. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you started running at 43. Yeah. And how old was your youngest at that point? Oh, now you're making me do math. <laughs> well, that's so- okay. You don't Wait, how many years me. ago? So that's so five, five years, years ago. ago. So she was four. I guess my youngest was, no, she was younger than that. Yeah. I feel like she must have been like two. So, so she's two and you're like, I'm uh, going to, and you, you haven't really been exercising. I mean, you say, people can say they're not exercising, but truly if you're running after four, three little kids and one big kid, you're, you're exercising all day long. <laughs> Yes, true. Although I felt winded all the time. Right. Like going, but yeah, the amount of times I went up and down the stairs alone every day, oh, it was, sure. you know, I didn't know, pushing the shopping cart, weighed 400 pounds with kids hanging off every side. Yeah. So when, was were, a workout. when were you like, I think I really need to start running or doing something to, you know, make myself feel better? Well, I never really wanted to until I found myself kind of in the the epicenter of this of this tri club phenomenon that was taking over 
my little town. And it just, everywhere I looked, you know, women older than me, younger than me, my age with, you know, kids as little as newborn and up through teenagers, all these women of all these different ages and shapes and sizes, they were all out there running and doing triathlons. And um, it just... I think I just started to feel like a real sloth. I was like, wow, like everybody's running around except for me and riding their bike and swimming and doing triathlons. So I kind of felt stupid, like maybe I should do something too. Um, and I felt like running was the least expensive, least, you know, you don't need to learn really a lot of technique like you do with swimming and you don't have to spend a lot of money like you do on a bike. And I had run as a, 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 a in middle school. I ran cross country. I wasn't good, but I ran. And so I, you know, I, th- I I remember how to run. How hard is it? You put on your shoes and you run. So that that's really when I when I kind of started. I don't know that I really did it for me. I didn't feel a burning desire to do it. I think I just more felt like I was supposed to. Like, oh yeah, you know, you're supposed to run. Everybody's running. That's that's what that's what I should be doing right now. And. Then a funny thing happened was I started running. I'm like, oh, wow, I love this. I really love running. How did I not know this all my life? (laughs) I was like very upset with myself. I I missed out all these years. I did. I missed out on when I was in my prime. All right, guys, before we continue my conversation with Alicia, I want to thank the Ursae Family YMCA for supporting this podcast. With summer finally here, the Ursae Family Y has tons to offer for you and your family. Get the kids ready for safety in the water with this summer with swim lessons. Keep them active, engaged, and off the couch over the summer break with programs like gymnastics, summer day camp, cooking camp, chess, and basketball camps presented by the Indiana Pacers and Eric Gordon. For those adults out there looking for something fun to do during the summer, get your friends together and join the WISE Dodgeball Tournament on June 30th and Wiffle Ball Tournament on August 5th. If you're looking to spice up your workout, try MX4 Small Group Training, TRX, or BAR, a total body workout that incorporates Pilates, dance, and functional fitness training you to leave you feeling stronger and accomplished. Whatever you're into, whatever you want to do, the Ursay Family YMCA has something for you. You guys know I'll be there all summer long, and my boys are definitely doing swim lessons. Thank you, Ursay Family Y, for supporting this podcast. You guys can go to IndieYMCA.org or follow them on social media, just the Ursay Family YMCA. All right, guys, let's continue the conversation. Now, and I, I started reading your book, and I, I have not finished it, but I kind of read, I read the, well, I read a couple of the stories, which I'll talk about in a minute, but I read the intro, and you kind of, you start your book with, um, and you guys, her book is called Women Who Try. And you talk about your first triathlon and standing there waiting to go in the water and and whatnot. So did you sign up for that triathlon, you know, right, right off the bat? No, definitely not right off the bat. I started with running and, uh, and I, and I loved it. And then I ran for about two years and I kept saying to myself, yeah, I'll do a triathlon. Yeah. And I joined the tri club because all my friends were in it. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll do a triathlon one day, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do one. Uh, and, and I never did, you know, cause I was scared. I didn't know how to really swim effectively. I mean, I knew how to stay afloat, but I, I just didn't really know how to breaststroke or, or, or freestyle. And I didn't own a bike and I, I just, the whole thing just seemed really intimidating. So it, it took me two years. So I did my first triathlon at 45 and, and I really did it for the book. So what had happened was I was very enthralled with this triathlon mania and just all the women who were flocking to it. They weren't necessarily the people I would have thought would be interested in triathlon. You know, they weren't, they, they weren't necessarily these 
these collegiate athletes and these super competitive, you know, 22 year old women or so they were just, they were just like your everyday woman, you know, of all ages and all fitness levels. And some had been athletic all their lives. Some had been kind of self-proclaimed couch potatoes. And so I was very fascinated with that. And so when I started evolving an idea for a book, it was going to be really journalistic. And then I thought, well, maybe if I did a triathlon, I would really understand what the appeal was. And I would really get into everyone's head and into that world. So I really did it kind of more for research. Mm. But I'm so glad I did because it was really, it was really a transformative experience. It was, it was one of the proudest moments of my life. It, it was just, you know, and I don't know if I would have done that under any other circumstance, um, you know, except for this, this research minded sort of idea that I had. Uh, and, and it was really fun. And I've done, I've done a total of three sprint tries. Those are the short ones. And, um, and one duathlon. So, you know, so I've done even a few since then. So in the whole thing of the book, though, is you're, you are interviewing all kinds of different people, all kinds of women yeah. from different walks of life who have entered the triathlon world, correct? Yep, just kind of you're at the recreational level. Um, you know, they're, they're not in, they're, they're just kind of everyday, you know, women doing really extraordinary things. But it's, I mean, but some of these people, and, and I've read a couple of the stories, and actually, I don't know if this might be the way you found out about my podcast, but Chrissy Vasquez? Yeah. So she was on episode 10 of this of this podcast. And um, I know her really well. She lives here in Indianapolis. She works for Back of My Feet, which yes. is, you know, all that. Ama- yep, amazing organization. Yeah. And so, and I used to work for them. And so... Um, yeah, I actually texted her. I was I so this morning I went to the pool to swim um, because my foot's kind of been bothering me a little bit, and I prefer to run, but I I know I can swim um, yeah. if I need to, and um, so I I swam some laps and then I lay, laid on the lawn chair and kind of flipped through your book and read a little bit, and Chrissy gave me some suggestions of specific stories to. Um, to read. Um, and so I, of course, obviously was going to read hers, but then I read, um, still time. Oh, Andrea. I know. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we can run, run down her story. Um, well, I mean that your stories are so short, um, which is actually a really fun and easy way to read a book with the chapters being so short, because you can read, I'm going to, you can skip around. Yeah. You can skip, you can read what interests you without lose. It's not like a novel where you lose the story. Like if you're not interested in the history of triathlon, skip over it. If you're not interested in reading about training, skip over it. If you love the inspirational stories, read them. If they're, you don't care, you skip them. So yeah, I kind of wrote it that way because I knew people would have different interests. Well, that's interesting too, because actually, um, and this is kind of a random thing, but, uh, there's a podcast called the Tim Ferriss show that I listen to sometimes. And he has the book tools of Titans. And in talking about his book, he was kind of like, I want like so many different kinds of people to like this book for all the different reasons. Like you might hate this part of the book, but you'll love this part of the book. And that's why so many different people Mm -hmm. will all like the book as a whole, you know? Because you're yeah. attracting different people from 
different walks and people who are interested in the different pieces of different the aspects, Right. And triathlon is such a huge, you have your elite pros and you have the people that live, eat and breathe this stuff. And then you have like your newbies and you have just people who are even tri curious and you have people who are kind of in the middle. And, you know, I just, I just wanted to appeal to a wider audience. Um, but with Andrea, so I read her story and this is a woman who was diagnosed with ALS really a year almost, was it a year after like tests and trying yeah, to figure out about what, a year. And, yeah. and, and she was kind of got the relief of, no, you don't have ALS and then was told you do, which has got to be the worst. But I love this. And I put this on my Instagram stories today. I love that this, um, Sentence that says, though she intimately understands the gravity of ALS and its implications for her future, Andrea chooses to focus on what she can do and what she can contribute and how she wants to live. Hope in the place of despair, action in the place of complacency, and gratitude in the place of fear. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, you know, any one of us, and, and you know this just as well as, as anybody listening because you were diagnosed with breast cancer three years ago, you can let those things just like stand in your way and just be paralyzed with the fear and I'm going to die and all this. But, and she, she knows what right. ALS is. Yep. She knows, but yeah. she's like, I'm going to keep living because I'm still here. She is. She's still here. And, you know, you know, we could live 85, 90 years and make a very, little impact or we can live, you know, 30 years and, and just really make a huge impact. So I, I think she's looking at quality over quantity. She knows there's a time limit on her life, but Hey, look, we all have a time limit mm -hmm. on our life. You know, mm -hmm. I think she says like the blessing is she kind of knows every, we're all going to die of something not to be depressing, but she kind of knows what it is. And in general, what, kind of time frame she might have and that even if she beats the the odds um most people it's but two to three years after diagnosis um they they pass away uh, although there have been people who live 10 years you know past diagnosis with als but she still knows this this is going to take her most likely and um without major medical advances which i pray will happen very very soon um and and she's just choosing to live you know and, and i i think in a way that's 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 a blessing to just be faced with something like that and say, I'm choosing to live. If it's one day or, or, you know, a hundred years, I just want to live every day with purpose. And there's nothing like reading a story like that. That doesn't just like whip you into your plate, like put you in your I place. Know. Oh, you know? yeah. I didn't complain for like a year after I interviewed her. I'm like, I'm never complaining about a single thing anymore. And, um, I mean, she's, she's just, amazing she's just amazing I um I was when I was swimming my laps I was like Lindsay swim 1500 meters like that's fine whatever and the whole time I was like this is so boring I hate this like I like <laughs> I wish I could be running I wish I would rather be running right now and my husband was like Lindsay in your swim today get your heart rate up so that it's like you know m mimicking a, a harder workout so you're really you know getting something out of it and I was like, I hate getting my heart rate up when I swim. I just want to swim slow and just like complaining about stupid stuff. And I get out of the pool and I read this story. And, you know, the whole time I'm complaining in my head, I'm thinking, you know, it's a beautiful day. I know I'm grateful to be here and somebody's watching my kids, but I'm also annoyed that I'm doing it. And I'm like, 
what are you annoyed about, Lindsay? Like, (laughs) this is ridiculous. Like, this woman would give anything to be able to just go swim 1,500 meters like it was nothing, you know? Um, So, yeah, I mean... And that, and that's the thing about this book that I love too, is it, it gives you motivation and inspiration to, without sounding yeah. cheesy, like live your best life, like be grateful. Yeah. I, 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 I experienced a lot of gratitude and a lot of inspiration when I was researching the book and interviewing people, talking to people, um, seeing, seeing what was going on in my community and, uh, with women in triathlon. And my, my number one goal was to try to put that in the book so that people felt even, you know, a tiny bit of what I felt when I was hearing these stories and talking to these people. And it, it was, it was, it was life changing for me, just, just meeting all these women and, and being part of this triathlon community and hearing all these stories. It was, you know, I'm forever changed because of it. I have done two triathlons. Awesome. And yes. I did a sprint try and I did a half Iron Man. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and it was the kind of thing where, and this is with triathlon, I always tell people because, um, when I did the, decided to do the half Ironman, I had finished my marathon, my like PR marathon that I worked really hard for. And I was like, I need a change of pace. Like I need to do something other than just run because I was burnt out. So naturally I was like, I'm going to do a half Ironman. That's normal. (laughs) Sure. Step. Um, but my husband had done an Ironman the year previously. So I was kind of like, okay, I had been immersed in the sport a little bit and, and seen, you know, watched him train. So I knew what, what went into it. Um, but I remember standing at the starting line of my half Ironman and that distance was long enough for me that I wasn't really nervous about, you know, going fast or anything like that. I just wanted to, you know, complete the race, but there was another woman in my age group that they were like announcing over the microphone. Um, she was like a three time breast cancer survivor and she was in my age group and I was 29, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm like, man, I wonder what's going on with her right now. She might've been a good person for your book and talking about that. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Can you kind of walk me through the breast cancer thing with you? Yeah. So, um, I actually was diagnosed shortly after I did my first triathlon. So I had, I did my triathlon in June and I felt like a funny, it just felt like a swollen lymph node, kind of like almost in my armpit. And I thought, oh, you know, I was swimming in that nasty lake. I probably got a swollen lymph nodes or something. So I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, but I had, you know, it's just, there's no coincidences. I really do believe this. So a year before I got breast cancer, I was assigned to write a feature story for a magazine, um, where I interviewed about eight breast cancer survivors and wrote up their story. And I had, I was in my, I guess I was like 44, 45 when I did it. And I guess I was 44. And I, what I, gained from that was I had never done, I had never had a mammogram. I had never had done any self-exams. I just really kind of didn't pay attention to that kind of stuff because I didn't think I had any risk factors. So I really thought it wasn't going to be ever an issue for me. And a lot of these survivors were telling me that they found their own lumps 
and they noticed it because it didn't change. Like they knew how they felt and they knew when something felt different. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting because I don't know how I feel. Like I don't know what my baseline is. So after I interviewed them, this was like a year before I found my own lump, I just started giving myself self-exams and just so I knew kind of what I felt like so I could tell if there was something different. And I'm glad I did that because I probably would have never even felt this little tiny lump. I caught it very, very early. Um, they were surprised I even felt it. And the the mammogram guy didn't think it was anything. He thought I had fibroids. And I got a biopsy just to diagnose the fibroid as a fibroid. And what they found were there were three fibroids, but only two really were fibroids. And one was uh, stage one invasive uh, ductal carcinoma. So, which is a very treatable, very, you know, great cancer to have. If you're going to have breast cancer, you, you definitely, you know, want that. So I, and I caught it very, very early. So I was, I was excited about that. So you know, it was funny because I remember the, the, for me, the worst part about the breast cancer diagnosis was waiting. So I got the diagnosis on Friday evening at five o'clock and I couldn't oh, like gosh. even make a phone call until Monday morning. And it was like two weeks before Christmas. And I was like, it was like kind of a buzzkill, but, uh, but, and then I couldn't get in to see the breast surgeon for another week. And then I had to get all these different tests and, oh, there was something in my other breast and I had to get that looked at. I'm in and out of the MRI machine. It's just all the nonsense before you finally got your plan was, was the hardest part for me. But I remember, you know, when I'm going in and out of these MRI machines and I'm getting all these biopsies and all these needles and different tests and blood draws and stuff. I was just like, I'm so glad I did that triathlon because it seriously like made me really tough. Mm, because mm -hmm. the, tri the triathlon was very scary to me. Getting in the open water was very scary to me. And, uh, and the fact that I had done something really scary and I had really tested myself in that way gave me that, I think, I feel like it gave me a lot of mental fortitude for what was to come. I had never had surgery before either. I had never been under anesthesia for anything. So I was like 45 and never, ever, ever had anything more than Novocaine, like in my mouth for a cavity. So I was petrified of going under anesthesia. I was really scared of getting surgery. So, but I just kept tapping into that. I know I can do it. I know I've done harder things than this. I, 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 know I jumped in that lake and I swam even when I was like freaking out, you know, in my head. And I, it was a, it was a, I don't know. It was good preparation, I thought, for me personally. And then when I finished everything, I'm like, I'm doing a triathlon to celebrate. Yeah. So, so bizarre because I was one of those people that never would normally think of doing that. But once your body's gone through all that treatment and uh, been a little ravaged, I, I don't know. There's something inside that just wants to prove that you're you're back in the game and you're strong again. Now, did you do, did you what treatment did you have to do? I know you caught it early. Yeah, I did. So I ended up having two lumpectomies. So because they found something on in my other breast too, it was it's uh, LCIS, so it's a precancerous condition. But they said, you know what, we're already in there taking cancer right. out of your right. Let's just go in and get it out of your left too. So I had lumpectomies, which is a much easier surgery to recover from than a full, you know, mastectomy. And when you get a lumpectomy, 
at, and you're, you were my age. I was considered young for breast cancer. So that, I was really stoked about that because normally no one was calling me young for anything. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, so that was fun. And it's, it's six weeks of radiation. So I okay. went every, every day, Monday through Friday for six consecutive weeks. And then, um, I have to take a pill for 10 years They're called tamoxifen. Okay. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I, I feel like I got off real easy, you know, all things considered. It was a giant pain in the butt. It was really annoying. It took over your life for a little bit, but I always knew I'd be okay. And that's, you know, I was grateful for that. Now, I always feel like when things come up, like health-related things, um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I had a double mastectomy. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, you had the BRCA, right? Yes. Yeah, so, like, I did not have cancer. I did not have that scare. But still, like, the the fear of all that was, like, in my brain. And, and I always like to, like, I don't know. I always, when people ask me about this, I always just feel a little quiet about it because, I never had breast cancer at this point in my life, you know? And so, you know, it is a big surgery, but I kind of just like took the action before that happened. And, um, yeah. I've always just like, I didn't go through treatment. You know, I didn't have the, the aspect of that scary diagnosis. So I don't understand that exact feeling, but my thoughts are always whenever I, you know, so when I found out I had the BRCA gene, though it wasn't like a technically a, health diagnosis where I actually have cancer, it was scary to me. And I always think when I, things like that happen and I have my kids in front of me, I'm like, okay, but you have to like put your game face on and still be a mom. You know, like you have to, like you might be scared for yourself right now. Um, but you have to like keep doing life. Like you have to keep making breakfast for everybody and you have to keep changing diapers and you know, like, do you feel like having all those children kind of put you in your place. We're like, well, I have to keep going. Like I got to take care of my family. Absolutely. You know, having kids sometimes would seem like, oh, well, that just adds like this other element of stress. But for me, exactly what you were saying, it keeps you very grounded. It's always in your face what is most important. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have scars and I'm going to look, who cares? You know, it's like, I'm alive and I'm going to, you know, be with my kids every day. And, uh, and yeah, you know, it's it. And I felt like it was like that with my um, triathlon training, too. You know, it's kind of like and when I was training for the the longest I've ever run has been 10 miles. So that was like a big deal for me because I, you know, I'd never done anything longer than a 5K. And um, but it, it's just, you know, you I start to feel like stressed and frustrated. And I can't train and blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I, I'm kind of glad I have my kids to balance my life out because I don't know that I'd ever want to fall into something so completely without something to pull me out of it, no matter what it was, if it was, you know, a happy thing, a sad thing, whatever it was. So I, I, they keep you, they definitely keep you up and, and, and going and moving and, and, and grateful. So, and it, and it is scary. And I, and I can definitely relate to you being, you know, afraid with, with the BRAC. I mean, that that puts you at a a very high risk Mm -hmm. for developing breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So a higher risk than the average woman who doesn't have the gene. So, and I'm like that now, you know, I've had the surgery, I have a clean bill of health. There's no reason for me to think that it would come back. But anytime, like I get like a pain, like I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, is that my ovary? Is my ovary? <laughs> do I, right. You know, like, I'm like, am I metastatic? Like, what? you know, but you do, you know, when you hear something that, that says you're vulnerable, guess what? You're a little vulnerable to something. Um, 
whether it's a gene mutation or whether it's a family history or whether it's just having dealt with something before and wondering if it's coming back, it, 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 it's always tucked back. It's always tucked back there in your head. So, yeah, but, um, I, so I, 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 even though you did, I just to, to address what you say, even though you didn't go through mm -hmm. treatment, you went through, you know, all the emotions yeah. that I think anybody who, you know, had the quote official diagnosis of cancer would go through. I mean, the, the emotional paths are the same, even though the diagnosis was, you know, varied a little bit. I always just feel like I'm not worthy to talk to you about this because like, I dodged the bullet, you know, and well, I feel like that too. When I talk to people and they had chemo, I'm like, I dodged the chemo bullet. Yeah. I have like, no, I, I have no, nothing. You know, I feel stupid to even say I had breast cancer because like I didn't really yeah. go through all of that. And, um, and it's, yeah, but you know what? Nobody thinks of it that way though. Yeah. I think that's our own fears in our head, you know, but no, but so. nobody thinks of that. I, I think we're all, you know, we're all just uh, going through our going through our stuff and and feeling our feelings and and sharing it with each other and communicating and you know and we're all appreciating where how each other. I think it's just nice to hear how everyone gets through what they get through, not right. you know and just like the coping mechanisms they've used and the gratitude that they found when they go through it, no matter what it is, you know that we can all talk about those stories and share it and not compare and compete, but That's just really share just share and learn. That's a really good point. Um, well, we have to move on to our fun questions and I always get to this point of the interview and I don't want to do it because I have more, more to ask, <laughs> but, um, for everybody listening, you guys should check out her book, women who try. It's really good. Um, I mentioned in the interview, I have not read the whole thing, but I plan on doing that. And, and the little stories, they, they'll get you off your butt and make you appreciate your life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so you've listened to the show before, so you kind of know what we end with. And I sent you these questions. Um, what is one thing you'd like to do professionally or personally that you haven't done yet? Well, and I'm not even just saying this because I'm on a, a show about running and fitness. And I've never run a half marathon. And I that's really, really high on my bucket list right now to run a half marathon. So I, I would like to do that. Um, professionally, I would love to be on NPR. It's like my favorite radio station. I listen to it all the time. So if, if NPR, if, if National Public Radio is listening, Marty Moskowane, somebody, you know, I Terry hope Gross, you're listening. I'm here. I hope you're listening. <laughs> What's your favorite NPR show? Or I love um, This American Life. Okay. I, it's my favorite of all time. Oh, well, you could totally be on This American Life somehow. They totally oh, have it. like uh, real life stories on there. Yeah, they do. There's they a reason call, to cover they your call story. Me. They need to call me right now. <laughs> call her up. There's so many different like ways they could talk yeah. to you about your story. It's quirky. Yeah, it's like they do like quirky take on things. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. You you're a candidate for sure. How do you apply for that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I gotta I gotta I gotta go knock on their door. What if you had one message to send to the world? What would it be? Um. I don't know if it's a message so much as a mantra, but I stole it from Cinderella um, when they remade the, the, the awesome. live action Cinderella. I know uh, there, she says in there a few times her mother told her, be kind, have courage. Mm. And I just love that. And that's that's just how I want to live my life. And I think it just kind of is an umbrella kind of statement. Be kind, have courage and can apply that in so many different ways. That is so true. 
I was just leaving the YMCA and I had two of my kids in hand, like my two-year-old wanted to be carried and then my seven-month-old is obviously being carried and I'm stupid that I didn't have a stroller um, or, a front, or a baby carrier. So, and then I had the diaper bag and my big bag and I can usually handle all that. Like, I can do it. It's fine. Um, I did it on the way in, but on the way out, I was like, I'm setting these bags down, getting them loaded up in the car and coming back and picking the bags up because my shoulders really hurt. And this, mm-hmm. like, young man, I don't know, he was probably like 18 or something, was like, ma'am, would you like me to help you carry those bags? Aw, that's and so I, sweet. I know, and I was like, no, that's okay. And then he was like, no, seriously, let me help you. And I, I was just like, Aww. hey, Lewis, that's my two-year-old. I was like, do what he does when you're 18. Like, yes. take notes from this young man who probably felt right. a little bit awkward asking this woman to carry her bags. And our car was far away, so we had to, like, make awkward conversation for, like, <laughs> you know, like, three minutes. And I was carrying on. But your mantra made me think of, of him. Yeah. Oh, um, that's a nice story. Good for yeah, him. Because he was so kind. And maybe it was courageous for him to ask this random lady if he yeah, could carry you're, bags. You're, Yeah, because most people are socially awkward at yes, 17, 18, you know? It's yeah. Not, it's, yeah. So that's that was really sweet. So, okay, what are you loving right now? I am loving pour, I'm loving my pour over coffee. So mm. my husband for Valentine's Day bought me, have you ever had pour over coffee? So it's like, it's like when you put that little, that little ceramic, uh, it looks like a filter, but it's ceramic and, and you put it right on top of your cup and then you put your fel- paper filter in there and then you put your grounds and then you kind of pour the hot water over. It's very meditative. It's, it's just like a handmade cup of coffee, really. It's nothing <laughs> that exciting, but I'm like so excited to make my coffee this way every morning. So I'm, I'm loving that. It makes it more special. Our coffee maker was broke for, we things break in our house all the time and we never fix them forever. Like our <laughs> microwave was literally broken for two years and we just got a microwave. And so I was, you know, I was heating up and I, now I'm still doing it. Even though we got our microwave fixed, I was heating up my hot water on the stove always, you know, for my yeah. lemon water. I was never putting the microwave, but anyway, a few years back, our coffee pot broke and we did pour over coffee for like six months because we were like, why? I don't know why we didn't go buy a $25 coffee pot. But so I'm very familiar yeah. with the pour over coffee method. Yeah, I, this is like brand new to me. I don't know why this is, you know, such a such a new thing. And I'm always loving on my foam roller. Like, and oh. I know that's not a new thing either, but like I'm like foam roller crazy. That's I love awesome. it. That's good. Yeah. Runners, runners listening need to take notes because I feel it's like so most good. of us are slow to do it like we don't want to we always put it off for some reason yeah it needs to become a habit it does you know if you don't if you don't make it a habit you just forget. but yeah once you work it into your routine you're like you notice the days that you don't do it now do you do it every day I try to yeah yeah that's good um well my thing is I'm like Lindsay just hop on do like 10 rolls on each of your calf, 10 rolls on, on the side of your the top of your leg and the back and then if you do more that's fine but like make that your goal yeah, I think that I think that's great. Um, what if you could have coffee or cocktail with anyone in the world? And I know you like coffee and you like beer. Um, yeah, I love both at the same time. At the same time, <laughs> coffee first, then to give you energy. Beer. Yeah. What? Um, who would you have it with? Now, can they be dead or alive? Or yeah, they have it could be, be anybody, dead or alive. So, if it was anybody, I would want to. Um, have coffee with my four grandparents and see them again as I miss them terribly. And, and, uh, 
I would just, I would just do anything to be able to see all of them again. I was close to all four of them and I had all four of them in my life until I was in my forties. Oh, so wow. they, yeah, they lived to be well into their nineties. One 40. lived to be a hundred. Wow. Yeah. So, um, the great thing was I had them for a very long chunk of my life, but the hard thing was like, they all went within like less than a five year oh, period. Yeah. So I, I lost them all very quickly and, and, and I, and I really miss them a lot. I, you know, I always say people, a lot of people answer this with a, a dead grandparent and, um, yeah, really? <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, I would say the same thing with, about my grandma for sure. Um, who my grandma, if she was still alive, she would, she would only be 75. So like she died of ovarian cancer. So, which is like the whole BRCA thing. But like right, right. when you say that your grandparents all lived into their nineties, I'm like, well, if it weren't for the damn ovarian cancer, like yeah, my, no kidding. my grandma's only, she would only be 75. Like she'd totally be alive right now. You know? Yeah. She'd be out there running. Oh yeah, she, you. she'd be babysitting my kids. Is what she'd be doing, <laughs> and she'd be loving well, every like, second of it. She what? Aw. Now, if I had to pick a live person, because I had that prepared uh-huh. answer, it would be Dalai Lama. Because like, I just want that goodness yeah. and that peace to just like rub off on me. Just if I could just be in the same room with him, I'd be like, I feel like I would be like calmer. Yeah, which would be really awesome. <laughs> you would automatically be a more serene. Calm I would. Person. I would. I say I would absorb some light. Like something would happen. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> that's good. I like that answer too. What's the best, most recent book you've read? I've read a bunch of books since this book. I re- probably read this five months ago or so, but it was a man called, it looks like Ove, it's O-V-E, but it, it's pronounced Uve, I think. It's a man called Uve, man called Ove, I would always say. It's like the be- one of the best books I've ever read, I've read in my life. Loved it. And they made it into a little indie movie, but oh. I won't watch it because I love the book so much. Well, that's what happens. You watch the movie and you're like, well, I know I, just I can't watch all the characters yeah. for me. Exactly. I can. It's like, it's like so precious and little. I just love it. Loved it. It was a great book. Okay. Good recommendation. What's one of your not favorite nonprofits to support? So we support several nonprofits actually, but my favorite one is Hearts United Against Cancer okay. um, because there's just so many volunteer opportunities for it. And they're they're based in Southern New Jersey. I'm a regular volunteer with them. My kids are active in volunteering and their whole mission is to just bring some cheer and a little joy to the lives of anyone, man, woman, child, uh, in treatment for any type of cancer and they just, they send care packages. They deliver homemade blankets and pillows and little care packages to infusion centers and, uh, and hospitals, uh, in the local area. And they also ship packages all across the United States to anyone who wants to give a care package to someone who's a cancer hero. So they're amazing and it's an amazing group and, and I love them and I love volunteering and I, I really believe in their mission. So hearts united against cancer. If anyone knows anyone who's gone through cancer, just Google it. It'll come right up. Um, and you can see how you can for no charge at all, free of charge, send a care package to someone. And I will put the link to that in the show notes. That's really great. Oh, thank you. I, um, I like that you say you do that with your kids because I think it's really easy. And I know your kids are a little bit older than mine now, obviously, but like, it's so easy to say, I'm going to volunteer when my kids are older. I'm going to do this when I'm not in the thick of that, you know? And I was talking to one of my podcast episodes was with the guy, Pete, the planner. And he, I gave that same excuse. Like I keep saying, I want to volunteer for different places more, but like, it's so hard timing wise with these little kids. And he was like, get a babysitter. And it's like, well, 
it's a really good point. You can get a babysitter, you know, and, and because there are certain volunteer things you can't do with your kids. And, and when you have toddlers, Oh yeah. They can kind of just be a uh, distraction for what the actual volunteering is. But I think it's so important to put them in the position and in the situation so that they're just seeing it repetitively, even if maybe they're not helping right that second, like it's a long-term investment. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're motivating me. There's this nursing home that is like not even a half mile from my house. And I always drive by and I always think, I should really just like pop in one day and be like, what do you, what do you guys need? I'm a mom. I have, you know, Mm -hmm. little kids that can make people smile. Like what can we do for, you know, an hour once every other week or something? Yeah. You know, like why, why? That would be great. Oh, yeah. The people at the nursing homes. Oh, they love to see young faces so much. Um, I, 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 I guarantee uh, they'll they'll find something for you guys to do and 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 you'll you'll be so happy that you stopped in and it'll it would be mutually rewarding. Well, and it's a it's in a kind of like a rougher kind of area too. And I'm yeah, you know. And I remember my mom did that took us when we were little kids to to nursing homes. And I I remember when we were older, but I don't maybe she was doing it when we were younger. I don't know, but um, you're motivating me with that. You say you do that with your kids too. Yeah, I do. And you know, when they were younger, I would do things that I could do at home, like decorate cards or, you know, draw pictures that you can send to Meals on Wheels, mm-hmm. which they deliver with the food, you know, things that you can do in your home where, with you know, that are age appropriate for your child. So, you know, and then you, and then you work up to, to the other stuff because it is hard when they're little. And even if you go out and do something, you come home and you talk to your child mm-hmm. about it, uh, you just, just even talking about the charity work you do, or if you donate or whatever it is, donate money, um, volunteer at a race, whatever it is. If you talk to your child about that and they know that's just part of the culture of the family and part of your life, they, that, that also affects them as well. Okay. So I'm making mental notes. I'm going to like, I'm going <laughs> to schedule, you got to schedule stuff on your calendar. Or else you do. It'll, it'll right. fall to the wayside. It's just like forget. working out, right? Yes. It's just like working out. It's so hard to go out for a run or a bike or a swim, but we make it happen, right? It's the same, it's the same principle. So with You got to put it on the calendar, lunch with friends, whatever. If it's not on the calendar, it just never happens. That's so true. Well, I have very much enjoyed talking to you. I'm so glad we connected. Me too. Me too. This was really great. It was so nice to finally uh, hear your voice and, and, and get to talk to you. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, enjoy your evening with all those kiddos. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Alicia, for being my guest. You guys can find all the information we talked about on the show notes of this episode at lindsayhine.com. You guys can follow me on Instagram, lindsayhine626. Follow me on Twitter, at lindsayhine. And find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Don't forget to check out the show notes because I will have tickets to my live show, which is September 30th here in downtown Indianapolis. Tickets to the live show are available and the prices will go up mid-June. So go ahead and get your ticket now. Come run the Indie Women's Half Marathon and celebrate with myself, Michelle Gonzalez, Mary Johnson, Maggie Dials, and all kinds of other fun people, guests that have been on the show and listeners of the show. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you Now Foods, Casper Mattress, and the Ursay Family Y for supporting this podcast. And thank you, thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for getting behind this show. You guys can find bonus episodes on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine. And if you're loving it, and if you're loving what you're listening to, head over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. 
All right, you guys, have a wonderful weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.